Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Podcast episode number eighty-six. I'm your first host, Marcello, and I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. Corey. Black guy episode brought to you by EscrowMyBits.com. <laughs> it's fast, it's super easy, and it only takes three steps. All you gotta do is register and deposit your Bitcoin. Seller will ship the item, buyer checks the goods, and releases the funds. That's it. You know, you know what I find interesting, and this may be because I'm white, uh, is that the fact that we can just randomly chant Black Guy episode, well, I guess y'all can, and no one cares, or it's like a positive thing. We can't be like, Asian episode, or like, woman episode, and then I guarantee you we would get butthurt people say things if that was the case. Yeah. I said Asian episode when Aldo was on. I said shout out to the Asian race. <laughs> you did say that. You are pretty. If if you you, I, you would be an equal opportunity offender. I yeah. think promote diversity in fintech, man. So if there's someone on who's not white, which is almost every episode, I get excited. I don't. I don't care. Like, I don't know. It doesn't even. Well, I did I, have a tweet for twit. <laughs> I did have a tweet for twat the other day with a guy who was like fintech is diverse if you think about it in the right way and i was like all right guy i get what you're saying you're saying like the diverse disciplines and educational backgrounds and all sorts of things of that nature uh but we're talking very specifically when a person walks in the room they're different than most of the other people in the room kind of diverse all right so, so here here's, here's 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 my question to people who like to promote racial or ethnic diversity yes why does it matter? It matters a lot. Well, we're talking about mass adoption, and if it gets over that white hurdle, and it starts getting into other... So there's, there's this, there's like, is the white hurdle there because it just happens to be that the majority of people who are interested in these things are white, and so the majority of people you talk to are white? No. I think that there's a diffusion of access. Okay. And when something is brand new, typically the people with the most access are going to be the ones that are most interested in it. Or Try to it, talk is Bitcoin. It, is it a, is it a uh, unproportional amount of interest in the people like who talk in the media about these things? Do you, do you feel like it's, it's equally proportionate about people who are interested in Bitcoin and blockchain in terms of ethnic diversity, but only – but it's disproportionately being discussed on the media by white people. Because I, I personally, I don't give a shit who I'm talking to. 
if they have something interesting to say and they're making something that's interesting that I care about, I'll talk to them. And their race, sex, ethnicity, background, it's it's just it's just a, it just builds who they are and the type of experiences that they've had. I really don't mm. care as long as I can talk to them about what they're doing. Yeah, but some ooh. people seem to really care about like and, and and they judge a person based on where they come from and may give them overdue credence to what they're doing based on their background. Yeah, I think that's a that's what's dangerous. And that's what you have to be sensitive and cognizant of is giving someone more credit that's due or less credit that's due just because of who they are. And so it becomes very easy for someone coming from an ethnic background to like say, say something, you know, somebody came up from a hard background uh, or like, you know, someone who's, you know, ethnically diverse and they start talking to me about their project. And I'm like, well, your project sucks Mm -hmm. because it may suck. Or like, yeah. I'm not interested because you're not doing anything novel or, you know, something, something along those lines. I'd be like, well, you just don't care about ethnic diversity and you're, you know, and you're, you're racially discriminating me. How, as a white male who's, you know, doing decent, you know, middle-class white male, how do I, how do I respond to that? You just walk away and you say, that guy's product sucks. Just like you would anything, you just walk <laughs> away. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that uh, diversity is unimportant and that it is going to uh, maybe be a catalyst to those kind of situations you just discussed. No, I'm saying diversity is important because of a very lofty reason is that when people of different races look into a room and see different professionals and they don't see anyone that looks like them, it's intimidating. Or it was. It's not anymore. Because things are more diverse than they were, but it just is what it is. It's important that we have we have all of these different backgrounds come to the same table because that's, in my opinion, like the way I see that is that you have different people with different motivations trying to get the same project done. And so, if you have, you know, I think we discussed this earlier. Maybe it was Mackie. You have, you know, a group of white people in the valley who all came from the same background. With the same type of upbringing and the same type of experiences, they're not even thinking about the problems that you know a South African trying to think about this problem would would think about, and so they're not going to solve those types of problems that would you know that would help that background. So having a racially diverse, not even racial, I don't care about race, an ethnically diverse I mean, community come together to solve the same problem allows the solutions of those problems to kind of deal with all of the, the 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 things that people worry about as opposed to what a small subset of people worry about. Yeah. I, I care because Bitcoin has reached the moon and we'll find that black adoption of Bitcoin was like a staggering 0.2%. You simply cannot have equality under those conditions. And then Bitcoin is going to completely undo all the progress made in the past two centuries because people are too lazy to ask why. You know, there's a there's a material discrepancy in the demographics of Bitcoin users versus the general public, and it's probably worth asking why. And the answer is probably right, as so- simple as is you know due to existing underrepresentation in the technology space, black people are less likely to use Bitcoin. You know, however, the question is still worth you know asking. Yeah. Why 
are black people not in technology space? Um, it, uh, that's a deep um, question, man. It's not really it all about has to do color. With... It's about demographics, I think, and why certain yeah. groups of the population use Bitcoin and other groups don't. It's an extremely relevant question to ask, unless we cater to those subsets. Why would talking about black people using Bitcoin? I'm just saying black people because that's what's brought up. And I hope I, you could be more politically correct and say why would ethically like ethnic minorities and talking about this help ethnic minorities get into the scene? If they well, don't use it already, why would talking about it make them use it? One, it's about hearing and seeing it. And here, one, it's about seeing it. And, and and that gives it access, and 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 they just don't have access. They don't want access. It's not important. It's just not. I, I think it perpetuates the us versus them stereotypes. I mean, yeah, by 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 saying, like by people creating a podcast, you know, y'all 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 are y'all are black or partially black, and when you make a podcast talking about and, and hyping the idea of like black people using Bitcoin and this technology. Other black people will say, "All right, people like us are using this and talking about it." Yeah. So I'm interested in that. Now that's a good thing, right? But it also yeah. perpetuates this us versus them stereotype of like I wouldn't have done this had someone not like me talked about it. Now I'm not saying that that's avoidable or that's there's another another way to do it, but it's at least worth worth mentioning that that's definitely happening. I mean, is it is it a problem that the NBA has more black athlete superstars than white, or is it a problem no. when there are too many whites somewhere else? You know, if, if the reason the NBA was mostly non-white had to do with like the lingering effects of pervasive discrimination against whites, then it would be a problem. You know, I don't think you know the reason blacks are underrepresented in Bitcoin is like the distrust for financial anything. Thing. I just think, you know, it, Bitcoin is new tech and tech has a steep learning curve. And statistically speaking, here we go again, statistically speaking, no. African Americans, <laughs> they have a lower income to pay for tech or lower access to tech and less education for tech. Or so creating platforms for people like of, in, in, in poverty scenarios is good. Yes. Right. There's a we're stark not, digital not, divide between white, middle, upper class, and other marginalized ethnicities, yes. You're right, because the, the, the platforms being built are catered to those people, to that, to that you know, economic Wait, bracket. Did we let Colin know this was going to be our social, like, dive down deep episode? <laughs> before <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> He's going to be like, holy hell, they decided to go all in on talking race <laughs> when I came on the fucking show. <laughs> Whatever. We had to talk about it sometime. That's true, As man. Um, this is super easy. Black people. <laughs> I think I think our new motto should be should be the Bitcoin podcast, color commentary on the Bitcoin and blockchain space. There we go. Is that a That's, joke on ethnicity? Play on words. Is yeah. that a joke on <laughs> Well, we always bring we we try to bring on people of of, of you know different backgrounds. That's very true. We, we um, look for people of different ethnic backgrounds, and then we also look for people who are doing real interesting things in the space. Yeah, and a lot of times we find those two things overlap. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we, I, we rarely have someone on who's just a, an ethic person that's doing something boring. I mean, and when it comes, I can't. I feel like being black, I always have to be ambassador in these situations. But my blackness is uh, is is different than than you think typical according to the media or a fucking Trump what blackness is supposed to be like you know I had an N64 I had a Super NES I've had a computer since I was four uh, even though it was built doesn't matter like I've always had access to these things because my dad happened to be a techie so you know it was just, it was just natural it was just natural for me but a, a lot of that doesn't exist in the black community as a whole in America uh, even, just, your, even your kids like when you were teaching, your kids were like, hey, are you black, Mr. Ferguson? Yeah, there's no way you can be black because of the things that you like and the way you talk. And I was like, no, I am black, kids. And it's weird <laughs> that you say things like that out loud. And you have no... <laughs> <laughs> you said that out loud. Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, parabolas now. And I'm just going to ignore that you said that because it's devastating about the American psyche. So... <laughs> But uh, it's there. There does need to be more diversity in fintech. But if there's not, then it just is what it is. I mean, you can't make people get into something that they're just not into. I so, think the best way to do to create real diversity in fintech is to not pander to stereotypes of of whatever ethnicity you're, you're talking about, but to create a platform that allows people of all socioeconomic levels to to operate like to to, mm-hmm. to be a part of it and, you know you have to create an economy or an environment of inclusion as opposed to an environment of exclusion we don't want a small subset of people to work with these things we want everyone to work with these things mm-hmm. and if you create barriers for people of maybe uh, like low socioeconomic status to to participate then you exclude those people. And whenever the vast majority of ethnic like background those people come from, that's then going to be called racism of to those people, right? Mm-hmm. So create a platform for everybody and then talk to those people, talk to everybody about using the platform. And you have you have an environment of including of inclusion and letting mm-hmm. everybody use everything everyone's coming together to do whatever they want whatever it is they want to do yeah but just having it in mind of like who like by creating whatever i'm creating what barriers of entry do i have to this product and who is that going to affect and if it's disproportionate to a certain amount of people then you may want to rethink what you're doing and try to include those people unless that's what you're trying to do Mm mm-hmm I do. What I do know is that women, more and more women, are getting into Bitcoin, which is a good thing. Why? Especially, why is it a good thing? Because why are they both? Why are they getting into Bitcoin, and why is it a good thing? I know why. Uh, <clears throat> They're trying to prove, trying to prove something. Prove what? Whoa, careful! We gotta be real. <laughs> we gotta tread real careful on that. All right, but no. <laughs> you can't just be throwing out words. <laughs> women, women from a young age are discouraged from math and science because of cultural reasons, and that's a okay. fact. 
Is All it right. still a fact? I mean, it, it certainly was a fact in the past. Is it still a fact now? I don't know. Aaron wasn't. Aaron, Aaron is is really good. She's, she has a degree in chemistry. She almost got her PhD in chemistry, but decided to quit because she didn't like the research. She's still going to get paid uh, eight cents less on the dollar than a male. No, she won't. That shit is that's been, been proven false. Has it? The, the disproportionate uh, wage of a woman has been proven false from a quantitative standpoint, completely objectively. And I can argue that with other women if they'd like to. By the way, I'm not like, yeah, they get paid less than men. I'm just, I'm just stating. That's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, that's a statistical and like, it's not, in statistics, you can pretty much say whatever you want to say. So if you have an agenda to get out, you can manipulate numbers and come up with statistics to support your agenda. But looking at these numbers objectively in terms of the, um, you draw the wrong conclusions from the numbers, you can say whatever you want. And that's essentially what's being done with this whole thing of women get paid less than men for the same job. It's just, it's just not true. Mm. There are, they, they may get paid less with the same title, but it's not because they're a woman. That's to do with other factors that aren't taken into account, Ooh. which we can discuss later. We're but, getting deep on the Bitcoin podcast today. Well, Fuck I, talking I, I about these things. I find these interesting, and I wanted to like I, I heard this a lot, and I wanted to get in, dig into it. And it comes to the fact that that's not necessarily true. It's more complicated than that. As with every other real issue in the world, you can't just put a black and white statement on things and say it's done. It's just more complicated than that. I mean, I, men, I, men, and women, men and women are different. Are we? Yeah. Are, can we say that? Is that? Yeah, true? we're allowed to say that. No, no shit, because men and women are different. We have two labels, men and women. They have vagina. We have a penis. Yeah. Oh, careful, though. Different. Some people <laughs> some people want to be whatever they want to be. Well, yeah, we got gray hairs. Deep on the show. Them. But, I mean, to say that there's no difference and then the socioeconomic labels that we take upon ourselves statistically or st- like in a standard way isn't mm-hmm. different is just – Trying to be a white knight and a social justice warrior. Trying to be PC principal. Yeah. I I accept Bitcoin's community agnostic platform and I see the value in actively reaching out to other communities, which is why sometimes, yeah, I reach out to black people or women specifically. And when the guests find out that I do that, they take offense. But I think I'm promoting something. Acknowledging yeah, race I think racial differences and anything, it doesn't make you more racist or racial. I'm just recognizing reality, man. Yeah, that's what I like, and that's what I want to add on to is a lot of people try to do this thing when it comes to race where they're like, oh, I don't see race. Everyone is always the same. And it's like, fuck that, dude. No, they're not. Different cultures have different things that they do. Now, what you want to try to do is take the best thing from every culture and exemplify that and put it forth on the pedestal or whatever, however you're including this culture into whatever new thing, because it's the only way you get the very best of something. And so I think uh, I like that's why we do that. The, 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 like, hey, this, I, this is the way this is the way I look at it. I'm a I am like everyone knows I'm a I'm a white male with a certain level of like certain experiences, right? And I like to talk to people that are different than me, and yeah. that's going to be. Anybody that's not a middle-aged white, not middle-aged, like a you know mid-thirties white male, because they have experiences, uh, you know, a background, a, a religion, a culture 
that's completely different than mine, and they see the world through completely different eyes that I do. And mm-hmm. I want to, I want to try and put my myself in those shoes and try and see their world the way they do. And that means that I want to have them on my show and talk to them and see what they care about. Humility. Because it's interesting. And it's the only way that you're going to kind of look at the world outside of yourself because we're all limited by the experiences that we have. And if we never try and get outside of that, then we can't grow as a person. Yeah. Humility and, 101 is what you're talking about. And that's about. what we're doing. It's literally what we're doing when we invite these people on our show to talk to them is just figuring out how they're different. And it's interesting. As long as Cello doesn't say that whatever company they work for is meeting their woman quota. <laughs> Why not? Wait. Oh, no, wait. That was us, wasn't it? That was us. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. I mean, I, I have a wife and I have two daughters. I can't afford to be sexist. <laughs> I have a wife friend. I can't be. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be racist. You guys don't understand. I'm surrounded by estrogen like all day. Like it's. I have the utmost respect for that gender. I'm. So How do you? I'm, I'm raising two girls. I'm married to a woman. I mean, like. How do you operate? Not only that, but like you, you surround yourself by like strong charactered women. Like the the woman you married is not a meek person. She's a strong woman, right? With a strong personality, and you married her for that reason. (laughs) Yo, and her butt. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's part of it. What's it like never knowing where you're gonna eat dinner, Cello? What's know. that about? I don't care. Um, yeah. Good talk. Well, let's, uh, let's, 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 let's talk about more. Bitcoin a little bit. This going to be a longer episode. We haven't talked about Bitcoin in so long. I want to talk. So Deloitte. Well, I have to pay. I have to pay bills. Dude, fuck that. We'll get it next episode. Tell them we'll, we owe them one. It's no biggie. Okay. Uh, Deloitte, uh, they put an ATM in one of their buildings in Toronto. Um, in case you guys don't know, Deloitte is one of the big four financial services firms in the world. Um, they're so big, you really can't figure out what the fuck they do. That's how big Deloitte is. You're like, wait, are you an accounting firm? Or are you like some sort of like credit card company? Or do you do loans? And they're like, when it comes to finances, we do it all. Their tentacles are in all. And so... When you see a firm like that committing to putting a Bitcoin ATM in one of their offices, it's a pretty big moment for Bitcoin, in my Is opinion. It? How, do, how, do, how does Deloitte boost adoption by installing a Bitcoin ATM in their office? Well, because of the level of access of an affluence of people walking around in the offices of Deloitte. I mean, dude, word simple. of like, mouth. If, if, you, if you walk into that bank, the, major, the typical person that walks into that bank, right, and they see a Bitcoin ATM in a Deloitte bank, they're going to be like, oh, okay, well, it's not fake. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are like, what is Bitcoin? What is that funny money or the garbage? And you see something like this in a place like this who kind of associate a place like a Deloitte bank with success or you know real financial technology, then they automatically associate Bitcoin with that status. It adds credibility, which adds faith. And that's the only thing that makes a currency. So when you when there's a bunch of people, you know, white collar folk 
walking into their Deloitte office and they see a giant Bitcoin ATM and then they remember all the newsletters that they've read and they remember one or two of their crazy friends they're like oh bitcoin's the shiznit and they're like dude you're fucking crazy and then they see it in their office they're like whoa this is actually becoming a thing and then you know it gets viral from there so yeah it's it's it's, that's why i think it's a big deal so i think it's it's definitely a step in the right direction and it's it's also a kind of this we've known that banks are in this right banks banks understand what's going on they're not they're not ignorant to all of this they're mm-hmm. spending a lot of money spending a lot of time employing people to inform them on what this stuff is and as time goes on and people get more savvy and more and the understanding of how all this stuff works gets gets larger the banks get smarter because they're continuing to employ people to tell them how this stuff works yeah so it's it's, it's, it's and they're spending a lot of money and banks got a lot of money so don't be stupid and think that we're still flying under the radar. Yeah, we're definitely not flying under the radar. The thing that the thing about Bitcoin that changes the game so much that people don't get is that it's not just money, it's also technology. And so it's going to be trippy when most of the ways we operate with value on the internet are are somehow connected to Bitcoin. And that is driving the value as well as people just using it as a currency. And that's also driving the value. I mean, it's really uncharted territory when it comes to like human behavior. So I think that's also where a lot of the confusion comes in with most people. Cause they're like, I don't, is Bitcoin money or is it, I don't get it. And it's like, it's, it's both things. It's lots of things. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting seeing how humanity picks it up as a behavior change, using it as a currency and understanding it as a technology. Because there's still a lot of people running around that don't understand email. So how the shit are they going to get Bitcoin? <laughs> I guess they're just lost. They'll, they'll just be lost. But uh, Big step for adoption. Deloitte putting a Bitcoin ATM up. And, uh, That's in Toronto, by the way. So Toronto's definitely coming up in the Bitcoin world. They're doing big things. Yep. Canada, I think Canada is going to be leading the way with the old Bitcoin action. So I wouldn't say leading the way, but they're definitely a, a, uh, a hub, if you will. Toronto is a hub of Bitcoin. Corey, yeah. do you have, I know that I know nothing tattooed on your arm. Yes. I yeah. Do. We talked about that. Oh. Remember? In the, uh, Socratic paradox. Who was, a? If you don't know anything, there's no hope for me because you're pretty yeah, smart. Say that you know something is uh, <laughs> uh, arrogant. I yeah. have good ideas. I have. So if everyone's like, you're a know it all, do you just raise up your sleeve and show them your arm? I'm going to go fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> go, go, go. Kick. I like that insult more and more the older I get. Go fuck yeah. yourself, okay? <laughs> There's well, a movie called Wishmaster 3 where he wishes that his lawyer would go fuck himself, and he does. Isn't You'll it really vulgar? Yeah, he, his spine breaks in half so his body can twist so he can so he does himself. It's Go see that movie. That's a, that's a creepy movie. <laughs> I really hope that, that our guest enjoys the, the, the long, ridiculous conversation we've had. Oh, yeah. 
review. <laughs> Drop the introduction. Yeah. All right. So, um, Colin Thompson is a he's he's interesting because he heard about blockchain before being introduced to Bitcoin, and then he kind of turned into an Internet of Things entrepreneur. And he's a venture capitalist investor out of Hong Kong. So we get to hear a little bit about the Hong Kong banking system. And uh, we kind of hear about uh, him being a managing director for Intrepid Ventures, which is a uh, venture development company. So he's a graduate of Harvard Business School. Uh, he's an active thought leader in crypto law and cybersecurity. And he's a figure skater. What, 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 what? All right. <laughs> Get him on the show. And here it is. My name is Colin. I've been out here for in Hong Kong for about 12 years, and I, I run a company uh, just recently founded called the Intrepid Ventures. Uh, and essentially, we're a venture development company, so we like to categorize it as a, a cross between venture capital and product development, and we specifically um, focus on blockchain-enabled startups. We uh, typically invest, uh, create, and consult, and we consult mainly for you know very large uh, insurance companies um, as it pertains to developing um, blockchain solutions um, that can either help their back-end operational efficiencies or you know help kind of leapfrog leap, leap them into the future regarding uh, new business model innovations. So um, we've been around for about a year now. Um, based out here in Hong Kong, so very deep in the kind of fintech scene, even though I don't really like to use that term. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of us in a, in a nutshell, really. Well, so I was doing a little research on you, and it was just such an interesting, like, I mean, model, figure skater, and then, boom, Harvard Business School, venture capital <laughs> investor. Like, that life path was, like, blew me away. How did you get interested in fintech and crypto, and how that how that start? Well, I'll, I'll draw a correlation. There's a, a guy um, that's in the blockchain space. His name is uh, uh, Jack DeRose, and he's the co-founder of uh, a company called Colony. And uh, he was a designer. So he was a jewelry um, jewelry maker. And, uh, you know, the period before that I was doing this, I was a, I was a shoe designer. And uh, what ended up happening is I, I didn't really like working in the fashion industry. I really loved design and creativity, but just didn't like the industry. And I asked myself, you know, what could I do that would have a a similar landscape uh, to uh, in, in terms of being creative, a very large landscape. And I thought, you know, technology would be really, really interesting. And uh, I had been in venture capital before, uh, mostly on the media and entertainment side. So I figured I'd get back into that after I, I sold my, my fashion company. But it was uh, the blockchain that really opened up my imagination in terms of what you could do creatively uh, uh, with the space. So as a designer, I kind of transitioned back into technology into the blockchain because I felt that you could be really kind of innovative in that space. But ultimately, I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, my life path has been primarily just, I just do what I like and figure it out along the way. Right. And it's just kind <laughs> of rolled into all these different things, but I'm very happy with where I'm at now. It really seemed like, I, you know, this idea of, being cutting edge, being innovative, and really being able to have an impact on the world in terms of whatever you create was really the most uh, most interesting thing about the blockchain to me. So that's how I kind of ended up here as a kind of a middle aged guy. <laughs> right on. So let's let's uh, let's yeah. let's take it to like so you got into blockchain, and most people, of course, we all start with Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. But you've you've seen to. I didn't uh, know. You didn't. How, how did you start then? No, I was, uh, 
you know, I was I left the last my last uh, VC fund, which was uh, that I helped develop here in Hong Kong, and I was looking to start something new, a new model, a new way of doing things. And I was thinking, okay, what what is interesting that's out there that'll have more of an impact than just consumer apps? And uh, I typically learn a lot of things from podcasts or YouTube. So I went on YouTube and I, I just did a, a search and uh, I'd been hearing about the blockchain and I didn't know what it was. So I just typed in blockchain and invariably what ended up coming up was um, two videos, one with uh, Stephen Tall and one with uh, Vitalik Buterin. And I looked at these two guys and I was like, what are these guys talking about? This sounds pretty cool. <laughs> and then I looked into it and uh, I just got more and more enthusiastic about it. And so, I mean, this was maybe about a year and a half ago. And I reached out to Stephen and I reached out to Vitalik and kind of built up a relationship with them in the very early days. And that's how I got into it. And then just went gung ho and then, you know, kind of built the company around that, you know? So I started with Ethereum as opposed okay. to Bitcoin. I was Bitcoin to me was kind of like, what's this Bitcoin thing? I don't know what it is. Huh. So about that? that's, in, that's, that's interesting because uh, that would mean you're kind of, I don't know. I feel like I get a lot of pushback when I mention um, altcoins or private blockchains or anything outside of the realm of a, a, a public ledger. And yeah. if you come at from this from this angle and you're also a VC company looking for blockchain-enabled technology, you, you're definitely looking for these these other cases that most people in the in the scene are almost scoffing at and tell, tell, telling you it's, it's terrible. How do you feel about or what do you say to these types of people in terms of like the use cases or why these things aren't going to fail? I, I, I mean, you hit the nail like right on the head uh, to be, you know, hackneyed about it. But uh, uh, to be contrarian, I mean, I think that, uh, that some of the most exciting things that are happening around the blockchain or um, uh, distributed ledgers is, are the things that are non-financial services or have elements of financial services that are applied to different different industries and technologies. So um, a lot of the things that are in distribution right now is super interesting digital rights management, music, those are really kind of exciting spaces. So we look at all those and we go, wow, those are super exciting areas that don't have to do with payments. So we made a very conscious decision, like as we got into this space to say like, there's like 500 people doing payments, forget that, somebody will figure that out. What are the, all the really, all the other interesting things that are going on in this space and who's being creative, who's being innovative, who's doing things that are out of the box that, you know, we might be able to, A, as an investor, you know, be a part of something very significant or um, as a partner or, you know, maybe developer, um, beachhead in an area that where we might be able to pioneer, you know, a technology that might be able to transform an industry. So to us, that's those are, that's the most exciting things. And, and if someone discards that, we, we just look at them as kind of like, you're, you're not really embracing what this technology is all about. All right, so that definitely automatically brought you into this this booming idea of the Internet of Things. And being in Hong Kong, you have this, this plethora of device creation. You have the hardware at your fingertips. And how this, this market is growing, how does blockchain fit into that? Well, we, I, I think of the blockchain as it fits into IoT as kind of like um, like – like a like a part of the infrastructure that allows you to transfer value or to secure information and the 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 premise and the idea is you know do you necessarily want google knowing that much about you and your life what you search 
where you go, what you ride, when you open your fridge, you know, when you turn on your heat. And I think that, you know, something like the blockchain, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, anchoring privacy and being able to have some kind of level of control over that, being able to redistribute energy are all really fascinating propositions. So, I mean, we haven't delved so much into IoT yet because for some reason, there's a lot of, like, I mean, around most of the emerging technologies, there's a lot of hype, but it's still very nascent. And there hasn't been enough of, um, there hasn't been enough, like, connective tissue at the very, you know, foundational layers to allow for really kind of leapfrog innovations. There's still pieces missing. And one of the areas that we felt that was really kind of missing that's now starting to pop up is this idea of the smart meter. So, like, you know, what is this kind of, like, connecting route? That allows you to, you know, uh, centralize, centralize, but to uh, aggregate the information around, like, say, your house, your devices, that can then be turned into information or uh, a transfer of value. And um, one of the most exciting companies, again, you know, in this kind of alternative cryptocurrency or alternative blockchain world is a company um, out of Europe called uh, Grid Singularity, which is, uh, you know, kind of like the Ethereum of energy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, created a kind of a blockchain for energy redistribution and created the hardware devices in order to you to connect your home or to connect your business and open sourcing that out to, to energy companies so that they can distribute that to consumers so consumers can then redistribute their energy. And then these, these energy companies will essentially become the app store for developers to create energy applications. So really brilliant kind of very large um, infrastructural project that requires that kind of a network to put something together. And to me even though they're focusing on energy, that's an IOT project that I think would be, that I think will be quite transformational. But to, to your point, um, uh, we looked at literally like the geo arbitrage of Hong Kong going, we're really good with financial technology. We're, you know, 45 minutes away from Shenzhen so we can make hardware there. It's a really exciting ecosystem. How can we take, you know, uh, financial technology, the blockchain and hardware and, and maybe create something quite, interesting around that space and we're, we're, we're looking in that space, but we're, 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 we haven't come across anything that's been a kind of a breakout application or technology that we can kind of sink our teeth into. So uh, you mentioned kind of the right way to do things in the wrong way. What are your thoughts on startup collaboration? Do you think that's a smart move? Uh, uh, totally. I mean, like I would, I, I would have to, I would have to simply because I think that, you know, the, the model of our company at Intrepid is to, is, is this, this idea of the collaboration between a startup and uh, a, a large company in the sense that the large company has the, the resources. The startup does not have the resources, whereas the startup has all the ideas and the innovation and the incumbent company does not have the ideas and the innovation. So bringing these two together hopefully is a synthesis between the resources and the innovation that can create something and again, at, like at Trepa, we, we don't we like to use this term disruptive. We prefer the word transformational in the sense that, you know, I think that large companies and startups are, are looking for the same end goal, which is for the startup's scale and for the incumbent's sustainability. And so by bringing them together, you create things that are transformational and is a more positive and, and progressive look at, you know, what's happening in, across innovation, in, in, especially in this region. But I am 100% interested in, in, in collaborations. And um, to, to, to double down on that is that uh, I, I, it's funny when I talk to our, 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 our uh, industry clients and they, there's, a, there's a guy in like, you know, the innovation division that goes, 
call it. I'm, I'm looking for a blockchain to find some. And I, I just laugh because I go, it's hard enough to find a developer. It's, yeah. it's even harder to find a good developer. <laughs> and then you got to find a blockchain developer. I said this, yeah. I say this, to, I say this to every company. I go, any blockchain developer worth his salt is not going to work for a company. He's mm. going to be in his own, he's going to be in his own startup doing his own thing. Right. So unless you can go like this and find a way to collaborate with the startup, collaborate with the small teams that are creating a really interesting innovation, there's no way that you could not afford to bring in a blockchain developer because not only is not only is there a rare skill set, there's an ideology behind a lot of these guys too, right? Where it's kind of oh, like, yeah. right, like down yeah. with the man, like you know, we're taking you down anyway. <laughs> the anti-establishment type of mo- movement. Yeah, so I mean, it's a different proposition, and I think that's one of the more interesting things that's been happening in terms of this idea of disruption and transformation is that like these these younger kids now, we've we've had the the Bezoses and the Zuckerbergs and the, 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 the Snapchats come out and we see these kind of younger guys doing things in, in more traditional technology. Now, this is really transformative and disruptive technology. So these kids are going, we know what this is about. We know what we can do. Why am I going to come work for you? You know? Yeah. So, you, I mean, I think that's one of the more interesting <laughs> Yeah. You know? So I think that's one of the more interesting things that's going on in the space right now, too. So, so given, well, how, go ahead. How are they collaborative, though? I mean, what happens if they have overlapping or competitive offerings? Are they still going to be able to to lie in bed together? Well, I, I that's a really good question. I haven't come across that, but I think uh, you know one of the things that larger companies looking at with a smaller company is that is that if there is a competition, then the collaboration becomes well maybe. You know, we can be the investor because essentially, if you're competing with us, you might replace us. And if you're replacing us, this is something that we need to be a part of in order to sustain our business going forward in the future. So that becomes that becomes more leverage as uh, an investment proposition for the startup to the incumbent. So I would say something like, um, like uh, if you see like a peer-to-peer insurance company, like say say like a Lemonade. You know, you would look at some of their investors. Or they are some of them are quite significant insurance companies because, you know, as this company grows and evolves, they might see it as that's the business that that's our business of the future, or that's something that we need to be a part of in order for us to be sustainable going for 10, 15, 20 years. So that's interesting. How, how do how do you like given this? How do you see kind of the future of of blockchain or crypto or like you know we all we all call it different things but we pretty much all yeah. mean the same thing yeah. how do you see the future of this developing is it going to be kind of these i think some people like to call it the intranet versus internet do you see it a, like a, a nice uh, environment of interactivity do you see you know how, how do you how do you see all this kind of going forward over the next five years say i, I think on uh, optimistically i think of it as um Allowing the internet to do more than it could before in ways that it never, you know, that we had never thought possible, specifically as it pertains to financial services and inclusion. Um, that's on the innovation side. Uh, I'll tell you what I do kind of worry about is that uh, is a lot of like, there's like, to me, there's always been like a kind of a civil war in the kind of, again, the blockchain crypto space, right? I mean, yeah. part of it is that we, we can't even figure out what to call it, you know. But yeah. then there's the there's the there's 
the, 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 the battling platforms, there's the Bitcoin guys, there's the Ethereum guys, there's the you know people that are coming up with protocol innovations, there's, you know, should we come up with standards? Um, but that's the know. clashing of ideology. A lot of that yeah. comes down to is whoever has a product and it works, that's what's going to be used. Absolutely. Right. But I, I, I don't, I go, rather than getting caught up in that, you know, figure out, yeah, who is that person or how is, how is that application or platform going to succeed so that we can all move forward to the next kind of progression, right? I don't necessarily see it as that, you know, um, uh, the, the, the success of one is dependent on the demise of another, you know? Um, yeah. I, I don't necessarily see it that way. And I think that's, that's, that's one of the challenges that I, I feel that uh, is uh, problematic. Um, but I, I'm very, very optimistic about the entire space in general. I think whoever does come out ahead or whatever products do come out ahead will be absolutely transformational and will, will shape the way that, not just blockchains are done, but the, a variety of different technologies. And I think that uh, one of the really interesting things that we're looking at at, at our companies is that how, as, how does the blockchain as a component of other emerging technologies make those emerging technologies more, more uh, powerful or transformational? So when you take like a, you know, the mixture of blockchains and AI, blockchains and, um, you know, um, what's a good one? Uh, 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 gaming or virtual reality. You know, what are the interesting things that you can do with these two different technologies and, and what's the synthesis that can be created that would, you know, make these industries even more transformational? I'm mostly excited about those things and, and I've yet to see, you know, things that have, that have uh, really kind of captured the imagination in, in, in so far as that goes. Uh, Corey, didn't you want to talk about uh, public versus private? Because I'm kind of interested in that too. Get his viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, this so uh, that's just an interesting. Like, I, I, we, do, we talked about it. We touched on it a little bit earlier. You have this kind of pushback versus private blockchains. Do you see private blockchains becoming um, a prolific thing, or just are they are they doomed to fail? Is it only going to be public, publicly shared knowledge, or can you have uh, essentially a, a blockchain between two or three cohorts, uh, just interchanging information amongst themselves, or is that just doomed to fail? Well, I would I would f fall back on the you know it depends on what the goal is, mm -hmm. and is the, is the application is that whatever application or whatever use you're, you're you're trying to do with the blockchain is that is it is it better served by a, a private or a public blockchain? Um, in some cases, even like you know with the startups that we work with or you know the the large corporations. There's some situations where the corp the, even a large corporation or an insurance company will work on a on a on a public blockchain because for that particular use, the public blockchain is what's what's more effective and is what's better served for that particular you know business or or, or application. And in some of the cases, you know, this idea of consortiums uh, or, or private blockchains is, is much better suited. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a debate between which one is better. I think it's you know which which serves the purpose and how can they and how can you use it so that um, new things can be done and can be created. And usually think, that's yeah. the kind of perspective that I take on it. Yeah, I think a good way to put it is that the community or a good a good portion of the community, especially the maximalists or, or fanatics that don't yeah. see things from a large from a large perspective, see Bitcoin as or blockchain blockchain as a hammer and not an entire tool set that a carpenter can use. And when they look through that lens, they 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 say, Well, you can only use it like this. This is the way it's supposed to be used. And if you don't see it through a wide perspective, then you're gonna miss all of the 
possibilities of how these things can be used in their specific niche. And uh, I, 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 I think that's a lesson that at least that's a, something that needs to be put out there a little more. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think, you know, the, the, I think the exciting thing about the blockchain is what can you do with it? Why limit it? Yeah. Why say it yeah. has to be public or it has to be private? Like, why limit it? Say, say, what are the things that we could do and how can we do it? You know, and um, I mean, there are some things that I kind of like look at and I go, and I'm sure you feel this too, is that like blockchains, crypto, Bitcoin, are like right now, like there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of there's, there's a, a lot of snake oil as well. I mean, there's a lot of snake oil. And it's like, you know, uh, you know, getting down to actually building things and testing it and seeing whether it works. I actually commend those types of people. But the people that kind of go and like, you know, you know, wax poetic about like what it can do, and what it can't do because they're doing a research paper is kind of like strange to me. But, you know, this notion like you know, when I think of like, you know, private change, when I see like you know, one industry on a chain, I go like, to me, that's not an innovation. You see 50 banks on a chain. I'm like, big deal. You know what I mean? Like, all that means is that they're talking to each other, you know, yeah. essentially, you know, I said, like, I said, what would be interesting is that if you have, you know, a, 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 a cross constituency of industries on a private chain where they're, where they're sharing, you know, uh, mutually beneficial information so that collaboratively that chain has created a synthesis and a competitive advantage that they could not create on their own. And I think that you'll see that like in things like um, uh, in healthcare, you know, where you have like insurance companies, a bank, a hospital, you know, uh, a regulator, all on maybe a private chain because it's information. And these are, these authorities are trusted, but they're sharing data and information in a way that makes the, the person in the center, the consumer, you know, have, you know, more interesting um, information about their own health so that they can take care of themselves i think that would be exciting definitely i think medical medical care and the the sharing of patient information in a standardized way is something that will definitely be uh revolutionized or changed over the next five or ten years due to blockchain yeah. type technology i absolutely well that's a, one of the really exciting areas you know so again but like you know like you were saying too is that like you know i mean you know, we've only been around for a year, but it's like, I mean, how many payments companies I've seen is unbelievable. <laughs> but how many, how many medical record, you know, healthcare medical records companies that I've seen, you know, that are using blockchain technology, you know, healthcare, healthcare and, uh, you know, and medical is just as big, if not bigger than financial services, you know? So it's like, that's a huge opportunity, but I'm not seeing that much in that space, but what you just said would be amazing. Well, I mean, let's start even simpler. Uh, Colin, how hard is it to open a Hong Kong bank account, for instance. How hard? Oh, you? I you 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 yeah. I see you've done a little bit of research. A little bit. <laughs> uh, you do our know, due there's diligence. Like, there's, yeah, there's like there's, you know I've been in Hong Kong for about 14 years now, and they talk about how it's like the freest economy it is, and the free, you know, and you know, ease of doing business, and that's you know, on a surface level, very very true. Uh, but what has happened over the course of the last few years, especially as it pertains to entrepreneurs, and if you're from another country, God forbid you're American, is that, uh, <laughs> yeah, is that, uh, you know, they've clamped down so much on uh, AML, like money laundering, that the banks here um, will refuse. And it's not a policy that they have that's written down somewhere. They will refuse to open up a bank account for an American and for a new account 
especially if you don't have a relationship or with a relationship with the bank. So, I mean, I've been here for four, I mean, I, I would, and I'm, I'm going to call them out. I'm, I'm a Citibank client for seven years, personal accounts. I went to open up a business bank account with, for them, for this company, and they straight out refused it. <laughs> right? That's crazy. And then they don't tell you why, right? And I'm like, the, the, the shadow reason is because, you know, it's just, and I'll give you a, and I'll give you one of the examples of, of what they what they make you do to open the account. They say, in order to open the account, not only do you have to have your proof of address, your ID, your passport, all that stuff, you have to have a transaction that's already been done on the account. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the question becomes, how is that possible if I don't have a bank account? Right? Well, sorry, we can't open the account for you then. Right? So they'll create things that will make it like impossible for you to open up the account. So they can kind of like, you know, you know, cover themselves. But, you know, over the course of the last few months, there's been so many complaints here to Hong Kong that, uh, that to the authorities here in Hong Kong that um, uh, the regulators have clamped down on that. So, I mean, um, you know, people are finding it a little bit more easy to open up bank accounts, especially if they don't have a relationship with, you know, the bank. So, you know, thank well, God. But I guess to, to counter that, I can send you Bitcoin now for, you know, for zero cents. And yep. you can have it in your bank account, but how easy is it for you to use um, a currency like Bitcoin in Hong Kong right now? Would that be even well, be useful I mean, for you? I mean, we've got like we. I think we had like some of the first Bitcoin ATMs and stuff. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so we can like we can you know get Bitcoin, um, but it's the culture here isn't is it as 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 pervasive as say maybe in North America and Europe. Um, I mean, if I'm purchasing things online, no problem with Bitcoin. But, you know, to go and kind of, uh, you know, live my kind of daily life using Bitcoin here in Hong Kong is probably, we're probably far off from that. However, um, you know, a few uh, wallet payment companies were just licensed by the Hong Kong government just recently. So it'll be interesting to see what they do to innovate around, you know, payments and and transactions. And and, and Bitcoin might be a part of that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, we could wrap this up. We got one more question for you. That's what we ask sure. all of our guests. Uh, cool. In 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? Can I describe blockchain in 10 words or less? Um, I would say uh, a magical database in the cloud. Okay. That's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep it simple because, you know, another thing too about the blockchain is that, uh, uh, if you do enough reading about it, and if you're like, you know, you know, moderately technical, you could understand what it is. But for some people that, you know, may have only heard of it from like the outside of the service level, it may sound really, really complex. But, you know, this idea of like, you know, you know, a ledger, you know, uh, that's shared, that's immutable, that, uh, you know, has a, a consensus mechanism. The idea in terms of you know wrapping your head around it i think that the challenge for a lot of people is like like what does it do and what is it for yeah and i think definitely. that's you know where people get lost you know <laughs> people ask me what i do and i'm like ah uh, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know but i mean you know what i you know i find exciting about this is that uh you know 20 30 years ago the people that were working on the internet they were kind of like the the blockchain community it was a little bit fringe yeah. You know, the people that were working on PCs in like this, like the mid seventies, they were kind of nerdy, geeky fringe guys, you know, and then all of a sudden it became super mainstream. Right. So it's like, 
I couldn't even, I mean, even Bitcoin now has kind of gotten a lot more ubiquitous, but I mean, it's still quite fringe. But seven years ago, it was super fringe. Yeah. Oh, know? yeah. So, so I, I look at it as this is just part of, this is just part of the natural progression of a movement or, or an industry, right? So. Yeah, um, people think we're nerds now. Just, just you wait. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you, yeah. And like, that's, that's what I get most excited about is that like, you know, it's sooner or later, everybody's going to know what a blockchain is and what it does. And like, like the same way people know how the telephone works. Yep. You know, so awesome Absolutely. guys. Hey, well, yeah. my, uh, my boy Corey here, he practices uh, BJJ. And I heard a few years back that you were with uh, some UFC fighters down at uh, Tiger Muay Thai training center. Tiger Muay Thai. Yeah. Man, we're huge <laughs> MMA fans. So you, you got to tell okay. us about before you go real quick. Oh, um, uh, I kind of went through, this was like the same time I was kind of transitioning from my last company into, into what I'm doing now. So it was kind of like a soul searching thing. And I just started kind of working out sure. and uh, I wanted to learn some, some Muay Thai and uh, you know, I wanted to take a vacation. I was like, you know, I'm single. So I was just kind of like, where do I go? And it was like, wow, it's Thailand. It's Phuket. It's like a training center. So like me, <laughs> me as growing up as a figure skater, I grew up in a place like um, um, Tiger Muay Thai. It was called Ice Castles. It was like a training camp. So when I got there, it was like, I was like, whoa, this is like, it was like a home. So it was like, they had dorm rooms and like, you know, people were living there and like they had professionals. Um, G- I, the day that I got there, it was GSP's last day. So he was there. There's like television crew. I was just like, this is crazy. You know, they've got like, <laughs> they got a, a, like a outdoor and indoor cafeteria that makes like really good, like all, or, like you're in Thailand. So it's all like organic, like, you know, high quality protein foods, shakes, and like they have like a, a super modern gym and then they've got like an old school gladiator gym where it's like chains and boulders. You know, and you, <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, so you would go and you'd hang out with the guys and like you would train hard and you could get anything you could do. They had like the best Muay Thai trainers there, like, you know, like like the, like the Thai masters. They had like the best BGJ guys there. Um, you could do like yoga, like they had like they had everything. And then like, you know, you hang out with the guys and then later in the night. You know, you don't, you just take, you take scooters and you go into Phuket and you party, <laughs> you know? So it was like, it was like really, really amazing. So it's like, uh, I, I definitely recommend it. And it's like, you know, if you want to go somewhere to kind of like vacation, like meditate, you know, um, train, work out and feel good about yourself and like kind of hit, hit, hit everything all at once. I, I definitely recommend it. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, All right, Colin. Well, uh, awesome. thanks for coming okay. on the show. We hope to, we hope we can have yeah. you back sometime soon. It was a yeah. uh, great talking to you. Yeah, I feel like you yeah. have a, a thousand more stories that you haven't shared with us that you, you need to come back on soon. Yeah, I'd love to. So, I mean, you know, it's, I think, you know, we're all, I mean, the great thing about you guys, you guys doing a podcast is by nature is like um, you're the, uh, the oracles of the industry and it's a continuous dialogue and evolution for everybody. So, you know, you never know. You guys might be like, uh, you know, uh, Become like the Charlie Rose of the Bitcoin blockchain space in the next ten years. Snap. That you would might be see us on billboards. Right. <laughs> awesome. Thank All you, right, guys. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Later. And that was the interview. Interview with Colin Thompson. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you opened up your eyes a little bit and you go do some research on your own because that's what we really try to do here expose you guys to ideas that you would normally be exposed to or normally think about or care about and then go do research on your own um so we're gonna wrap it up because this has been a long episode 
but uh, at the BTC podcast on Twitter. Um, and we're going to open up the Slack. Yes? I will open up the Slack sometime this weekend or early next week. Yeah, be on the and lookout we, for that, we guys. We'll talk about it. And so we can get... Guess, go ahead. I guess this a time of recording. I don't know when this, this, this is actually going out. Thursday. By the time you listen to this, the Slack will be open. Yeah. Yeah. So you can hop in. Um, and you can talk to us and talk to other people. And we can all think about things we want to talk about, bring them on the show. And we can try and represent uh, all you guys that listen. You can have an opinion. And you can talk to us and we'll get out there. So at the BTC Podcast on Twitter, thebitcoinpodcast.com. Uh, go to purse.io. If you if you go to our webpage and you look on the sidebar, you'll see a sticker there for purse. If you click that, sign up. Uh, when you shop, we get some kickback, and I think there's a little perk for you as well. I think you get like ten dollars or something like that. I'll look into that. Um, but you do help us out with the show, as you can see. Uh, well, you can't see we we've been recording a video, but Corey has nice new headphones. And I got a new pair of phones, so we can sound a little better. Um, what else? Quick caveat. Quick caveat to those who join our Slack and want us to put your opinion out there. Uh, that's not going to happen if your opinion sucks. <laughs> that's very true. Um, if your opinion is shit, then we definitely will say we go away. The fact that you're entitled to your opinion, yeah. but that doesn't make it good or yeah. right. <laughs> um let's see what else is going on. Uh Coin Telegraph. Go to it. Cointelegraph.com. Get your read on. Very good media outlet. Uh all kinds of stories. Um deep dives, opinions. It's it's good. It's good stuff. And if you're awesome and you do something awesome in the space, they will cartoon you. You will be a cartoon forever, immortalized as a cartoon. Um. Yeah. So, if uh, that's all, shout out to Zoe, shout out to Sanaa, shout out to Carrie Hilson, and uh, play, play outro. The outro.
was a, I think that was an intriguing conversation. People are going to like to listen to that. Sure. Yeah. And if you don't, you can go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like the people that are going to be like, race isn't a thing. It doesn't matter. Whoever, get that fucking bullshit out of here. (laughs) I think that. Race, race. The, the concept of a race is a human construct, right? You, you only have ethnicity and cultural background. Yeah. Black and white is not a thing. It's a human construct that we've created to separate people. Now, don't get me wrong. You're, you're a black dude, but how, why are you a black dude? Because you identify with other people of your race because you were brought over from Africa and you're kind of subject to this whole history of things. Yeah. There's a deep history but, like, there. Yeah, there's a deep history associated with it, but that's, that's because that's of the scientific background. Thing to say, though. Well, no shit. That's what I am. But I mean, it's but because it's so ingrained in our society, you have to you have to embrace it. But like from a scientific standpoint, it's a human construct that we've created to separate people. Okay, I see that. But the it's real. actual no, definition it's, it's a, of it. It, but we can't. Since humanity isn't smart enough to differentiate race from ethnicity, because we're not on a massive scale, then you can't just say race isn't a thing, because it is. Different races do different things. And different races do different things better than other races, too. It just is what it is. And instead of making it uh, a sensitive thing to say, if it's something that is just a race does better then why not let that be a best practices mold? Does the race do something better inherently because of their DNA, or is it because of the ridiculous amount of time that ethnic culture, which happens to be that race, has spent focusing on that thing? That's the question. I'm not saying it's easy. It, it has nothing it's... to do with, with the human. It has to do with the the group of humans that they came from and what that group of humans focused on their entire, their entire history. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the type of culture that they have and where they put their priorities. So why are there more like, blacks than whites in the NBA? And why are there more whites than Asians in the NBA? Because if you look at the numbers and how that sport works, the athleticism that we have correlates better to being a better athlete in that sport. So they can't study more. They also, can't. They can't try harder to get in. It's just that's. It's dependent where, where, on their race. Where are you spending your time as a human, right? Like statistically. So I would say more often than not, black people are spending their time growing up playing basketball, and not yeah. studying math. Yeah. Like, uh, well, that typically, know. and like, where are their where are their priorities? Like, where are they? Where, what do they want to go do with their life? I know a lot of black people are trying to get out of the hood playing basketball. Yeah, a lot of my students are and trying to get grow into up the league. Doing that your entire life, you're going to be pretty damn good at basketball by the time you get to like 16, 17 years old. If that's your priority as a human, if you spend your entire life on a computer reading about Bitcoin and studying math, you're probably be pretty good at Bitcoin and math by the time you get to 16, 17 years old. Even racial you. advantages, though. You think anyone that plays basketball from birth to 16 is going to be great? No, there are there are like genetic advantages, and I would say. Uh, I don't know. Black people like it's, ethnic cultures have different bodies. That's for damn sure. 
but that has to do with the you know millions of years of evolution in those particular areas yeah. and how those bodies develop yeah it has it's... nothing to do with it. I, I i don't i don't know it's it's this it's it's like this concept of evolution and then your culture of background and where you put your priorities growing up so you have you have physical like your genes based on your your heritage and your genetic your genetic makeup that give you kind of this range of things you could possibly do and possible benefits in certain mm-hmm. areas and then how you're brought up and where you put priorities essentially figure out how much you express your potential and Say, for instance, if you have the genetic makeup to be a really good basketball player, then if but if you don't focus your time growing up on being a basketball player, then you're not going to be a good basketball player. Yeah, I think other things though also are cultural and ethnic. Different cultures and different ethnicities have different ways that they go about things in almost any situation. And instead of there being a standard, there needs to be an understanding of what makes it good through that ethnicity. This is a long argument Tal and I got into. But especially when it comes to black leadership, um, black people like a leader that can be emotionally intelligent as well as poignant. We do. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Who doesn't like that? Who doesn't want that in their leader? A lot of people don't. That's why they get on Obama when he cries. They get on Obama when he's when he actually appeals to other human beings' points of views. When he not appeals to them, but actually highlights them and says, This is how that person views the world. That is their opinion, and I've stated it. They get mad when he does things like that. Well, that's that's ignorant. Yes, it's ignorant, but there's a large group of people that are that ignorant. If you don't believe me, then look at Donald oh, Trump. No, I, have, TV I, have no, I have no doubt that there's <laughs> a large amount of people who support ignorance and are ignorant themselves. And it worries me, but it has nothing to do. I mean, I think that's I don't, that's not a race thing. Well, you compare compare by race, compare black leaders compared to white leaders, right? What of the white leaders are super emotional? Reagan wasn't. Nixon wasn't. Uh, FDR wasn't. Teddy Roosevelt wasn't. In fact, he he said, speak softly and carry a big stick. On the black community, it's the other way around. Speak loudly and carry a big stick. Do both things at the same time. Which, historically, has been emasculated. Not so much anymore. It's really cool now. So where I could speak loudly and carry a big stick and people just respect my swag. But about 30 years ago, that would have been an emasculating scenario.